Hey everyone, it's Amy Lynn Durham and you're listening to Create Magic at Work. Create Magic at Work is on a mission to equip senior leaders with tools they need to be a true servant leader and actually understand what that means. Improve employee engagement, retain top talent, and transform your workplace culture to have less stress and drama. So let's start making magic. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Create Magic at Work, where I uniquely blend the ethereal with the tactical for you to live an uplifted life and maintain inner peace, even under great stress. Today, I am excited to introduce you to Emily Sander. She is the author of the book, Hacking Executive Leadership. (laughs) She's a C-suite executive and founder of Next Level Coaching. Emily's an ICF certified coach, and she guides clients towards new perspectives that enable them to adapt and evolve as leaders. I was intrigued by Emily, and I invited her on to share some of her insights surrounding quite a few things uh, that I was curious about. One in particular is her concept on the failure loop. And there's been a lot of buzz lately in the workplace consciousness that I've seen about learning from mistakes and failure. I've just, for some reason, have seen a lot of posts lately talking about that. So I was like, oh, perfect. And I don't want to go too far ahead, but mistakes, failure, chaos, as a lot of my listeners know, is really one of the skill sets of a quantum leader. (laughs) So Emily, I am so excited to have you on to talk about this. Welcome. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate it. And yes, as you said, I've spent 15 plus years in the business world, leading and managing primarily client-facing teams and and technology-based businesses, and most recently having served as a chief of staff, so supporting our CEO and working very closely with our entire executive leadership team. And then I'm also a leadership coach, so I love working with early executives, C-suite executives, sometimes first-time managers on anything they're working on, usually transitioning into a new role or getting ready to make a career transition. But um, Yeah, I've been an ICF coach for the last several years, and I absolutely love it, and it's my passion, so very happy to be on with you today talking about some coaching and leadership topics. Yeah, so your book, Hacking Executive Leadership, what inspired you to write it, and what are some of the hacks that (laughs) you offer? Yeah, the short (laughs) answer for what inspired me to write it is COVID. So COVID lockdown, I had a lot of extra time during that and I was going a little bit crazy. And so I decided to direct all that energy and all that time into something productive. And so the book is a culmination combination of my experience and lessons learned in the business world. And then also throughout my coaching practice and working with different business professionals there. So I kept seeing a lot of these same recurring themes and frameworks that would help people. And they weren't, you know, meant for something very specific, but just these overall, oh, I have a level of understanding about how that works and I can apply it to anything that I'm running into. And so I wanted to write those down and get them out to more people because it seemed to help over and over again. So um, the failure loop is one of them. So if you wanted to get into that now, I can certainly go over that, but anything you'd like to talk about. I could expand on. That'd be great. Tell us more about the failure loop. 
Sure. So this is a framework that flips the traditional sense of failure and what we think of that today into um, a path to progress and improvement. And there's a graph that goes with it in the book, but I'll, it. it's, I'll describe it real quick for your listeners. Think of individual loops that are connected together in an overall chain that goes up and to the right. And so up and to the right is the direction of progress. Okay. But in one section of an individual loop, there is a section that goes back down and to the left, and that's the opposite direction of progress. And so if you think about your life and the, your decisions in your career, there's inevitably going to be points where you fail at something or you make a mistake. So this can be anything from a presentation where it's like, oh, I fell on my face. That did not go the way I wanted it to, to, hey, I made this decision and the outcome was not what I wanted. And it feels, it doesn't feel good. You're embarrassed and you have to explain to your family and friends and colleagues and to yourself why this didn't go the way you wanted. And a lot of people hit that failure event. So that one section of the individual loop where they're going back down at the left, which is not the direction you want to go. And they stop there and Mm -hmm. they drown in their pools of pessimism and, and berate themselves and rake themselves over the coals. And that's one way to go about it. If instead you say, I'm going to take the lesson and learning from this experience and apply it going forward, you just propel yourself up to the next individual loop. So you're on your way back up into the right. And this process can be very quick. It can be like, okay, I said this thing in a presentation. I want to change that next time. Great. I learned that lesson. Um, That's a very quick timeline. It can also be, hey, this decision really rocked me. I tried this new business. And it didn't work. And I put everything I had into that. And so I need to take some time to really reflect and say, what were some positives that I can take away? What were some lessons I can do differently and apply them going forward if I'm going to try again? And that can be weeks or even months. So that reflection process and pulling out the lessons and learning is individual to this situation. But just having that mindset and that awareness of, okay, I know where I am in the process. Just that alone is hugely helpful. I know where I am in the process, even though it feels bad, but I know what to do to propel myself back up the chain of loops. Got it. So when you're beating yourself up and when you're feeling like you've failed, just understanding that the loop is going to continue to, even though you're in that backtracking of the loop, it's continuing to go up and to the right. If you're a graph person or or something like a visual that. learner. Yep. Yeah, right. I guess that helps you reframe it to say, oh, okay, this is where I pick up the learning lessons and take them with me on my way up to the next loop. Just as you were sharing that, I had a flashback from my former career where I was just obliterated in a uh, quarterly review for a publicly traded company I used to work for. And I just felt like a failure. I didn't prepare right when I thought I had. And uh, wow, that really rocked me, especially being an overachiever, perfectionist, the old me, you know. But if I think back to that time, I was so motivated to go back and knock it out of the park and learn from everything that, I didn't do during that time that it propelled me forward way Mm -hmm. more than if I had done okay at that review and not been 
I'm probably being dramatic because I felt really (laughs) annihilated in it, but it probably wasn't that bad. So just visualizing that loop, it's like, oh yeah, part of it was, I want to prove that I am doing the things that need to be done and being successful. That perceived failure gave me that, that moment to do even better. And I can feel that. I can feel that visualization of that loop. That's really cool. Yeah. And I love what you said. And I think you can use that as motivation and say, Hey, this is, it's not a mark of I'm a failure. It's actually a mark of success when you're in that moment and you're saying, I know where I am. I know what I have to do. So take pride in the fact that you're aware of that. And you're like, Hey, this is a mark of Mm -hmm. a successful person because I'm putting myself out there. I'm trying new things and I'm going to, I'm going to do better going forward. So not a mark of failure. It's a mark of success. I love that. This is a mark of success that I'm trying new things. I love that reframe (laughs) because I was literally just going to ask you, isn't all of this just perceived failure? Is failure even real when we're talking about concepts like this? What are your thoughts on that? It's funny because if you, if you think about what I just described, Hey, you try something, you learn from it and you apply it going forward. That is the definition of learning. So anything that you're learning, um, you're going through this process. And I have this example in the book, but I say, if you watch a toddler learn how to walk, you would never like rush up to its mother and say, Hey, by the way, like your son is a failure. Like, look at him making all these mistakes. He's learning how to walk. And that's how you learn how to walk. You kind of stumble around and you get your footing and you try again, and then you're walking, you know, and running. So I think that if people take this growth mindset, right, and this lifelong learning, and I'm always trying to get better as a person, and it's actually something you take pride in, and it can be fun. It can be fun to try new things and stretch yourself and stay on your growth edge. It doesn't have to be this arduous, you know, laborious process. It can be this, hey, this is who I am. And so, of course, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone and try these things. So, yeah, I love that process of learning and and reframing it as a positive experience. Yeah. And I think where we get tripped up is when the outcome does not match what we wanted it to be. And because we envisioned this future outcome and these steps that we were taking to get there and our vision didn't happen because the universe had something else planned for us. (laughs) How can you view that as a failure? We're not like, who are we to try to predict the future? Right. And what's waiting for us could be so much larger (laughs) than what we can conceive. Right. Yeah. I think it's so funny because Early on in my life and in my career, I was a planner. I had everything organized. I had a timeline. I knew how it was going to happen. I knew who was going to be involved, everything. And of course, none of those things transpired because life just unfolds in these different ways. And so I think it's useful to have, hey, here's my general direction I want to go. Here's some a vision I have for my life. And here's some goals. And then being very focused and uh, strong and driven towards that, but being very flexible and open to the how. So define the what, what you're going after and be pretty clear on that, but be very uh, open to how it's going to transpire. Uh, I think that's a good way to hold it lightly while also being Hmm. ambitious. Hi there, it's Amy here. Have you already experienced success in your business and life, but feel like there's something more? 
you're desiring to feel more ease in your business and life, you want to refine your inner voice to where it becomes a powerful inner compass, you want to live in courage, clarity, and confidence, and you're looking for someone that can deeply listen in a safe space to co-create real results, I can help you tap into your own inner magic and turn what you say you want into a reality with my new Elevate one-on-one coaching program. If that sounds like something that you're interested in and you felt that feeling when I was describing it, email me, amy at createmagicatwork.net or go to createmagicatwork.net forward slash work with me. You can apply there. Sending magic to you. Yeah, I like that. And that opens you up to a more holistic view of life in general is not not controlling other people and giving them a prescription of what they need to do to get where they want to want to be. Um, everyone takes different paths to try to achieve a similar outcome. And what works for you might not work for someone else. Uh, so that's, exactly. that's really great. A little bit of um, detachment there, right? Yeah. And I'd also be open to things that you perceive as, oh, that's negative. That's a setback. It could very well be a setup for a next step that you haven't even conceived of yet. And if you had known that was an option, you would, of course, have gone for that. So I've had so many times and inflection points in my career where I thought I wanted this. I was like, oh, for sure, I want choice A uh, versus choice B. But I didn't know that choice, you know, D, F, E, J, K, L were out there. And those were actually better and closer to what I wanted. And so being open to, oh, that wasn't actually a closed door, or maybe that was a closed door, but it whooshed open this other open door over here that I actually want to walk through more. So I'd be very cognizant of that because that's happened so many times in my life. And I've also seen that happen quite a lot with clients as well. Yeah. The awareness that you're not aware of every option, <laughs> right? <laughs> your, your mind is finite. Yeah. Of, what, of what's out there. <laughs> So there was something else that I wanted to hear um, from you because I know a lot of the magic listeners do a lot of hiring and you had mentioned something about worth the price of admission, recruiting, hiring tips and tricks. I want to talk about recruiting for a second. I th- and I think this would be really beneficial. Um, one, I'd love to hear a tip and trick that you have for that. And and then we'll go from there because (laughs) I've got some thoughts on this. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. This is one of my favorite topics. So let me start and then I'll ramble. So cut me off. The biggest thing I'd say is there's, there's two big buckets that you're looking for with recruiting and hiring. And I call them the aptitude and the attitude buckets. So all of the information you're collecting throughout the recruiting and hiring process are usually going to fall in these two buckets. And when I talk about aptitude, it's the hard skills people have to have, the technical know-how they need to have. So for instance, if you're hiring for um, a finance person, they might need to be a CPA or something like that. If they're in technology and have to know a certain coding language, those are the aptitude hard skills they have. Attitude are things like, are, are you a good culture fit? Will you fit in well with the team? Are you a good team player? Are you collaborative? The easy test is if someone were to say, oh, I have to work with Emily on that project. Is it like, oh no, like she's really good at her job. She knows the technical aspects, but she is a pain in the butt to work with. Or is it like, oh cool, I get to work with Emily. Like, yeah, she knows her stuff and she's always awesome in there for you. 
So those are just like broad strokes. Let me start with that aptitude and attitude. An ideal top performer excels in both or exceeds your threshold or expectation in both. You usually have a little bit of a disparity between one or the other. And so if you have, um, you know, a little bit more of one, but enough of the other, that's fine. If you have a deficit in both aptitude and attitude, that's where it's like, "Mm, this is a no hire, or I got to collect more information to make sure that I'm not missing something. But I use that uh, general framework for recruiting and hiring. So people you're bringing onto your team and also to assess your current team members. Because if you're using that framework to vet people onto your team, you should also be able to say, my current employees, my current team members, how are they doing if I were to put them and rank them in aptitude and attitude? Let me pause there and get your reaction, but can definitely go into a lot more practical and tactical tips if you'd like. Yeah. So I'm thinking the attitude piece that you're describing is really a high skill level of emotional intelligence. Can I be self-aware of my emotions? Do I have an emotional management strategy? And can I build connections in the workplace? Those are like the three things that I train on in EQ trainings. And then the aptitude is is the IQ part, right? And I always, or I, you always hear, I've heard, um, have you ever ran into someone at a party and they just can't socialize, but they're super, super smart, uh, but they can't make connection. And the data is really showing that EQ kind of trumps IQ as far as achievement goes in in the corporate workspace. So my my thought is, or I'd like to hear your feedback on whose responsibility is it to help these individuals that might not have the attitude? Is it the company's responsibility to offer um, training in these skill sets? Where does someone go if they have high aptitude, but they can't work on a group project with someone because they just don't have those skills to build connection? Yes, those are great questions. So with any hire, it's situation and you need to apply judgment. So it's a situational hire, meaning, for instance, take the aptitude piece of it. Sometimes that's a requirement. Sometimes someone has to have a certain certification to be in that role. So it's like, okay, that's pretty black and white. Um, go out and get that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the social piece or the communication piece, which I hold in high regard, is less important. So for instance, if you're hiring a technologist who is going to have to interact very little with anyone else, they're not client facing, they only have to deal with their boss, who probably is also a technologist, that might be one kind of threshold you have. I remember a job I was working at years ago, and literally we had this group of coders And we would joke around because they'd show up in their like flip-flops and t-shirts, would put on their headphones and we'd kind of shove Doritos under the door and they just kind of did their thing. And we made sure they were fed and hydrated (laughs) and they just, and they didn't have to talk to anybody. (laughs) So their level of communication needs were one way. Of course, if you're hiring um, an account manager or a customer service rep, who's going to be speaking with clients or, you know, a high level executive who might have press interviews and all these things their communication, their decision-making, their EQ needs to be very, very high. So that's what I mean by situational hires. So it's not a a one-size, here's the answer for that. But to your question, um, if, if I were to have to choose and say, hey, this person is a little bit low in technical skills, but it's something I can build up, but they are a rock star A plus on 
communication and collaboration and they want to grow and they know their their gaps and weak spots, I will take that any day of the week. I'll take that combination over someone with a you know subject matter expertise, very high in the technical skills, but just cannot right. you know be a team player and just rubs people the wrong way. There's certain things I was joking around with my colleague and and she was saying like Emily like I can't get through to this person and I'm trying all these you know techniques and different management styles and she was like sometimes I don't know how to teach common sense and I laughed cuz I'm like that's a hard skill to teach <laughs> like how do you teach someone common sense sometimes you have these things and sometimes you don't um I think things like communication project planning and organization I think those are very teachable and a good manager or a good company who has a good training and learning program could help their team members with that. And I think there are some things where, you know, I can't, I can't give you common sense. <laughs> I can try, but there's a certain level where the employee has to meet you part way. And so you got to be cognizant of, hey, what do I think I can help this person with? And what do I need to vet for and just have them bring to the table? Yeah. And the common sense that you're talking about, to me, I'm a spiritual intelligence um, coach for the workplace. That's your inner wisdom. How do you strengthen that? How do you strengthen, name it whatever you want, your gut, your intuition. It's that inner place when your ego is kind of put to the side and you can make wise and compassionate decisions. And yeah, it's something you have to skill build in for sure. You have to practice seeking guidance from your gut your intuition, your inner wisdom and things like that. What is your thoughts on, I'm just curious because I see a lot of people that I know, and I also see it a lot. I'm really active on social media for like workplace type stuff where people feel like they're put through the ringer uh, when they're applying for jobs. You know, I, I'm on my seventh interview and I've taken 20 assessments. I'm, I'm being facetious, but and then I had to fly here and meet with everybody. And, you know, they ended up choosing someone else. What is your take on that type of recruiting tactic? Yeah, uh, it depends on the role. So to me, what you described would be over the top for an entry level role. I think uh, what you described would actually be appropriate for some of the mid-level, senior level, and certainly senior executive roles. Um, so when I design interview loops and, and what that looks like, I'm not going to have a, a panel interview or seven rounds of interview for an entry-level position. Conversely, if I'm hiring a C-suite person, they are going to go through every single test and behavioral assessment and speak with different people in the company so I can get those uh, all that feedback in there. So it depends. And I think if people go through what they feel like was the ringer or they got put through their paces and it ended up not going in their favor, it's fair to ask for feedback on why they didn't get the job, especially if you've gone through that level of involvement. The recruiter or hiring manager should give you the courtesy of having a debrief call or at least an email. So I've done this for candidates where they were the finalists. They, were, they went all the way through and I give them pretty detailed feedback on their strengths and where they uh, came up short. And sometimes, you know, it was nothing in their control. Um, and sometimes it was, hey, you know, we just needed someone with more experience or this technical background, whatever. But I've gotten so much positive feedback from my feedback on those loops. So candidates are so grateful to hear. Even when they didn't get it, they want to know why. 
and going through that process. So I would ask for that. Do it professionally and politely, of course, but I think it's very fair to ask, you know, can you give me some feedback on on why I didn't get that role? I love that. Treating everyone like a human being because they went through this process and then I've seen posts where they just weren't contacted anymore, where, you know, yeah, or that's awful. when they applied for a job, they don't even know why they didn't get it. As a leader in a position of power, hiring others, that's a gift that you're giving someone else feedback in the space of really helping them along on their journey, whether they were, they're going to end up working for your company or not, or working for you or not. Just remember that you're offering that gift to another human being to help move them along on their journey wherever they're going to next. And then for the person getting the feedback, view the feedback as gift, as a gift. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and take it and, and learn from it back to the whole beginning of our uh, conversation with the loop. So maybe that felt like the backtrack on the loop, but if you take that feedback, it can move you up into the right. So one of the things I train with recruiters and hiring managers. So on that end of it, Number one, we're all humans, so you have to treat people with a baseline decency no matter what. But when you're in that position of a recruiter, you are an ambassador for that company all the way up until and especially when you decline someone for a role. So when they're, we need to decline this person, they didn't get the role, the way you do that is representing your company in a big way. And so you want people to have a positive or at least professional experience all the way through whatever interaction they have with the company. Um, so obviously, it's a disappointing um, piece of information the candidate is getting, and obviously, it's a vulnerable time for them. So doing that with as much decency and grace and compassion as you can is a really, really important step. And a lot of recruiters kind of go, okay, they didn't get it. Let me move on to my next thing. And they, like you said, either don't get back to them at all, which is awful, or just send them this very, you know, boilerplate, very direct, uh, sharp email and leave it at that. So I would really encourage people to say, I'm an ambassador for my company uh, when I'm declining a candidate. And then on the flip side, if you switch back to the candidate's role, you mentioned receiving that feedback. Um, yes, feedback is an offering. So someone is offering you feedback. You can choose to take that or leave it. You can choose to take part of that and discard some of the rest of it. So it's not like, oh my gosh, this is the ultimate truth that I'm getting with this feedback. It's okay. Someone's offering me some information and I will have agency in, in myself and be able to decide which parts of that to take on. Yeah. And remember, you might not be working for that company forever also. And how you said you're representing your company's brand. Yes, you're also representing yourself and your reputation and how you treat others and how you're going to be remembered. So on that note, what is your take on quantum leadership? The past two seasons, I've asked every guest what they thought servant leadership mm. was. And so we are going up the loop here <laughs> <laughs> on Create Magic at Work. And now we are talking about quantum leadership. So what's your take on quantum leadership? What do you think that is? Ooh, to me, that just opens up leadership. So I think we all get caught, and I'm guilty of this too, in tunnel vision. So we put our heads down and we're like, what's right in front of me? And that's all I'm going to grind on and work on. And quantum leadership to me is just opening up your perspective and saying, okay, where does my role right now fit into the team, the company, society, the world at large, like where does that align to 
uh, my purpose and my meaning and my fulfillment. And then it's also opening up relationships and interactions. And so a lot of times I see people do engage in transactional relationships where like, hey, I'm going to do this and then you're going to do this for me. Or like, I'm going to say this and then this is how we do things. And they're very rote and concrete and set about that. And instead it's, hey, you know, I'm speaking with this individual today. I'm speaking with Amy. Like, let me co-create this moment. She's got great ideas. Um, I have some ideas. Let's talk about them and make each other better and stronger for it. And if you go into uh, developing relationships with your coworkers or whoever you're around and really taking those relationships and each individual interaction as a way to um, be open and present uh, and engaging in those in a different way. I think that to me takes a, a normal leader or an average leader uh, and makes them a quantum leader. Perfect. Thank you. I love that answer. If it feels overwhelming thinking about it, as you're listening, you can just take it back to what we were just talking about. You know, let's say you're hiring somebody and, or you're not hiring somebody and you're giving them feedback. How do I want to leave this person feeling? What's the ripple effect that I want to have in my leadership as I move forward throughout my life? And how do I want to leave that person feeling? That's something easy that you can do and take a couple of seconds to do. So I'm going to pull a journal prompt card for you from the Create Magic at Work journal prompt card deck. I see you getting your cards ready. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) I'm shuffling them right now. Uh, This is a message for you and for the listeners uh, from the universe. So you are going to get a message meant for you. And then a question that each card has two questions. So we'll see what questions are. Ooh, this one's popping out. Okay. Oh, this is cool. So you got, everyone got partnership. And the card has a little illustration of people toasting two drinks. They could be non-alcoholic or alcoholic. You <laughs> decide. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the affirmation on the card for partnership is the people in my network are supportive and genuine. Emily, can you share a couple of ways to make work relationships harmonious? Ooh. That's a good one. Let me think about that. So a whole bunch of things are coming to my mind. This might not be in a particular order. One is be your authentic self. And that's said a lot, but show up as you truly are. And also let people show up as they truly are. So even if someone isn't doing things exactly like you would do or saying things exactly like you would say or dressing like you would do, be open to allowing them to be them and what they bring to the table. And I think that's just a great way We tend to categorize people very quickly and say, this is my type of person or this is not my type of person. But really, there's strengths uh, in all of us and uh, diversity and background and experiences makes us all stronger. And the other main thing that was coming up for me is being honest with people. And that means giving them positive, encouraging, supportive feedback, but also sometimes candid feedback. And I see a lot of people shy away from that or avoid like, oh, I don't want to have an awkward conversation. But some of the best conversations and some of the best uh, feedback can be given when someone trusts you and you develop that strong foundation of a relationship where you can give them, hey, like, you know, I saw you do this presentation. Here's what you did well. Here's what you might think about doing differently next time. Some observations I saw. And here's what you did best by far. 
giving feedback like that is a gift to the other person and it helps them get better. So I think in terms of partnerships, it's honest communication, it's showing up as your true self and also allowing them to be their true selves and be true to themselves. Yeah, great advice and answers. Looking at differences in others as um, unique opportunities to learn and pinpoint their unique skills to bring to the team. And then um, the feedback. We talked a lot about feedback today. We didn't plan on that, but I think it just was meant to be. (laughs) So that's really great. Emily, how can listeners or anyone that wants to connect with you get a hold of you? For sure. Um, My website is nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. I have some free resources there. Obviously, if you're interested in learning more about coaching, you can contact me directly there. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm on social media, Twitter, I'm most active on. So nextlevelemily. And then if you like some of the concepts we touched on surface level in this conversation, you can read more about that in the book, Hacking Executive Leadership. And that's on Amazon and Kindle and Audible, because I know people are busy. So those are the best ways to contact me. Perfect. There you go. Go get Emily's book and get started on not feeling like a failure. If you feel that way. (laughs) Thank you so much for being a guest on uh, Create Magic at Work. Uh, You definitely sent some magic to the listeners today and we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Hey everyone, it's Amy here. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Create Magic at Work. And please come back often and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Keep joining us for more exciting episodes where we help you transform workplace culture to systems that create less drama and stress and have high productivity and profitability. You can get your own tools for the workplace at createmagicatwork.net. I have a new Create Magic at Work, the journal that just released. And it invites you to reflect about different themes for work in your career. Each section of the journal contains a topic, an affirmation, and two prompt questions to help you journal your thoughts. Topics are like inspiring others, mentorship, expansion, and productivity. Connect with me at createmagicatwork.net. Also connect with me on LinkedIn under Amy Lynn Durham. Sending magic to everyone and see you next time.